Thank you, Steve, for reading this uh, text. Uh, when Steve stands here, it gives me great joy because uh, he has suffered two brain aneurysms and he's able to stand here today and read. That's just like simply amazing. Thank you, Steve. Well read. Um, a little bit about just being summertime, sometimes so like every six months or so, or every few months, just a stress on who we are. Uh, Cornerstone uh, Church is made up of a community of people whom God has called from the world unto himself through Christ Jesus. And uh, we serve uh, Christ's purpose here in Bristol, uh, Britain, and beyond. Our mandate is make Christ known and make disciples. So public reading of scripture is part and parcel of getting to know who your God is. God revealed himself and it's been recorded to us in scripture. So we give importance to public reading of scripture. Today's passage came from Acts chapter 23 verses 11 uh, to 35. Um, what I would like to point out is sometimes Christians mistakenly think that when we become a Christian, that's the end of all our troubles and sorrows. After that, it's a, a walk in the park. Uh, but that is not true. We do get trials. And sometimes, as human beings, in these trials, we can feel browbeaten and uh, depressed and uh, and. Paul was saying, um, God appeared to Paul on a number of different occasions. One of them was in the conversion experience when he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. That was one occasion. On another occasion, you find that God appeared to him when he was in Corinth. What had transpired before that, he was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. He'd come down to Thessalonica. He was chased by uh, some Jewish people who did not accept that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he moves to Berea, he's chased. And then he comes to Athens and he's alone. He's, his team is not with them, uh, with him. And uh, he's facing some Epicurean philosophers. And ministry doesn't seem to bear fruit except for a few things. And uh, he arrives at Corinth and God speaks to him and encourages him. On this occasion, again, Paul has come to Jerusalem and uh, he had gone with the, uh, something that James had suggested and that had gone pear-shaped and there was a riot and people had beaten him. Then the commander had chained him and arrested him and kept him in the barracks and the following day he was being stretched up to be beaten and then last minute he, he used his... Uh, you know, last week we did rock, paper, scissors. He pulled out his Roman citizenship and he said, can you uh, uh, strike a Roman citizen without being condemned? And uh, so it stops. Again, he tries, second time he tries to address the crowd. Again, it didn't quite work out. In the situation, he's back in the barracks. He's in the, in, if you like, he's in the cell. Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, you have been my witness. You testified for me in Jerusalem. You're also going to testify for me in Rome. This is a specific word that Jesus spoke. 
You know, sometimes when we go through difficulties, remember, God will speak through his son or the word. He will speak to you and he will encourage you. So what I'm trying to put across is um, the, we are going to pick up the story from that point in time. I'm going to show you what lengths God will go to make sure that what he has spoken will be fulfilled in his life. Now I'm going to throw that same thing open to you. What lengths God will go to make sure what he's spoken to you will be fulfilled in your life. Okay. So last week when we finished off, I pretty much said, God knows what you're going through. God is with you in what you're going through. God is for you in what you're going through. And lastly, God has not finished with you. Wow. You get the picture? God knows what you're going through. God is with you and God is for you and he's not finished with you. This week what we're going to see is how does this unpack. So here there's a plot that is hatched, a plot that is exposed and the deliverance comes. Okay. The plot that's hatched is there were over 40 Zealots, men who had made an oath. They took an oath. We're never going to eat or drink. Very dramatic. Until we have killed Paul. So they make this plot and they come to the Sanhedrin, meet with the chief priests and some of the elders and, uh, and tell them, this is what we have decided but we need you to play a part. And some of the people in the Sanhedrin agree to work with these so-called assassins. So what happens is, so they, give this, they give the plan. They say, what you need to do is go to the barracks, meet the tribune or the commander, Lysias, and tell him we want to examine Paul a, another time just to, just to check a few things. And in the meantime, as he's coming, we'll knock him off en route. That was the plan. The plan is hatched. I'm going to just digress for a moment. Just go back to that. Jesus says, as Paul testified for him in Jerusalem, he will testify in Rome for Christ. When you actually look at the two times Paul tried to stand up and testify who Jesus is, his, his message was interrupted. I imagine if you were standing up to say something about Jesus to your friends and you get interrupted. Do you think that, how would you count how it went on a scale of 1 to 10? You think like, maybe I didn't do a good job. You know, I was cut short. I couldn't quite put my argument across. But as far as Jesus was concerned, he had testified for him. Wow. 
It's not in your eloquence or your completion of your argument, you're, you're a witness. The fact that you belong to him, you are a witness. As a church, you belong to him. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price and you belong to him. The fact that you are his, you are screaming aloud to the principalities, powers and to the world whose you are. Well, as far as God is concerned, church is his bona fide ambassador. You're ambassadors for Christ. You're the foreign office for Christ, if you like, in a hostile world. And God has got plans for his church to stand up and speak for him or to represent him wherever he will send you. Okay, back to the story. So they make this plot, but the plot is hatched. But the plot is leaked. There was a news leak. Someone leaked to the press, not quite to the press. This time it was leaked by, the Bible says it was leaked by a family member of Paul. It was Paul's nephew. His name is not known. His name is not written by Luke. I would imagine if Paul at this point in time in his life was in his 50s, according to the calculations which uh, theologians have done, so I would say his nephew would be probably in his late teens, early 20s, like many of you here. And he hears the news. And what, one thing I want to just draw a point. Sometimes, you know, when we do something for God, we want to be known, sadly. We want to say that, oh, you know, I did it. It's my prayer that, you know, my prayer. It's God. It's not my prayer. My prayer is good. It's partnership. His name is not written. He didn't want to be known. But yet, God used him to save the life of Paul. God used him to further the plan that God had for Paul. Little did that nephew know that if Paul was killed, we wouldn't have the 13 epistles. The smallest acts can have the greatest of consequences. Sometimes we kind of think like, you know, what I'm doing for God is so tiny. It's so unnoticeable. But do you know that it can create the greatest of impacts? So I would ask you whether you give a cup of water to somebody in the name of the Lord. Do it with all your might. Do it in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do, do it for his glory. Even the small sack, whether it is kind of mundane, don't worry. So I would ask you to capture the picture that you are the body of Christ and everything you do represents Christ. And I, I challenge myself and I ask myself this question. When I'm in trying situations, I, I remind myself and I think, God, please help me to represent you uh, rightly. I'm weak, but help me. So this young man hears the plot and then he goes and meets Paul. 
So he makes his, his, his way to the barracks, goes through the sentry, meets his uncle, and tells his uncle, this is the plot. Over 40 men want to kill you. They're going to lie in wait. And Paul asks the centurion to take this man. He's got some special message to the commander. Paul did not tell, the, tell what was the message to the centurion. He sent it to the top of the pile. He sent it to the big cheese. So the, the tribune her hears this message. He takes this boy aside by hand. That's why I said he might be young, because you don't take a grown man by hand. Maybe he was younger. So he was taken him by hand and asked him, what is it? And this, this nephew tells, this is the plot. And he says, don't tell anyone. Don't breathe a word. <coughs> Keep it to yourself. And then he takes action. In uh, taking this action, you see that God spares no expense. Sometimes, you know, we kind of think like, you know, when you're Christians, uh, you, we must be mean and keen and all sorts of stuff. You know what I mean? We like to keep everything like, yeah, we don't like spending that kind of money, you know. It could be used somewhere else to, to, to dig a well in India or someplace like that. But God spared no expense. Let's put it this way. Let's have a look here. What did God do? He has two centurions, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. Wow, that's 472 people to escort one person to safety. Man, that's a lot of expense. In the House of Commons, there'll be a debate as to was that justifiable to send 472 of our army personnel to rescue one person, one citizen. God, even, even Rome is under God's hands. All authorities are placed by God and God can use anybody to further his plan and purpose for his people that which he has spoken. It's not uncommon. Cyrus was used of God. He was not a Christian. You can see that in history, over and over again, God can use people to further and look after his people. And they transfer him from the journey from Jerusalem to Caesarea, is a 60 mile journey. So they make their journey overnight to a place called Antipatris. Okay? Antipatris is about 25 miles from Caesarea. And then once you get to Antipatris, you see that uh, some of the soldiers have sent back, only the horsemen go with Paul. Why suddenly they decide to send the rest of them back? The journey from Jerusalem to Antipatris is full of hills and valleys and ravines and stuff like that. And it's also a Jewish, uh, uh, mainly a Jewish populated area, a Judaic uh, group. So there's a possibility of an assassination attempt is easy. But once you hit Antipatris, it's plain. Geographically, it's a plain. So, and it's also a Gentile area. 
So the chances of an attack is, so they say, yeah, this, this 400 can step down, the 70 horsemen plus Paul can carry on their journey. They come, and not only that, this commander, Lysias the Tribune, writes a letter to Felix the governor. He says, most honorable Felix, greetings, that's how they used to write. And they said, this man was being beaten and I rescued him, I tried to find out what's thing, and there's a plot against this man, and now I have sent him to you because I would like you to find out what exactly these accusers want. And I've asked the accusers to come and say, who is Felix? Tacitus, the historian, says Felix was the first slave who went on to become a governor in Roman history, the first one. Wow. So he was a freedman. He was freed uh, from being a slave. He went on to rise up to the position of a governor. How did it come about? His brother, Pallas, uh, Pallas, or P-A-L-L-A-S, Pallas, he was a confidant and a friend of Emperor Nero. So that made the possibility of able to speak a word and have his brother move from being a slave to a freedman, freedman to a governor. He had already served five years in Jerusalem or Judea, two years in Samaria, and this was his last posting. And he's here in this last posting. He was married three, three times, all to three princes. The name of the first princess, we don't know. The second one he married to was a princess, was the granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. A man of influence. The third woman he was married to was also a princess, Felix. And her name is uh, Drusillus, and she is the daughter of Herod Antipater, one of the Herod's sons. Okay. So he, he was a man of influence. And uh, he was stationed in Caesarea and in the Praetorium. Praetorium was a palace that uh, the, uh, the King Herod the Great had built during his particular time. Okay. So I'm just going to sum up now. So God goes a great length, spared no expense, in order to fulfill what he has spoken. In, in the Old Testament, there's a scripture that says, God watches over his word to fulfill it. Amen. What has God spoken to you? You may not have specifically, maybe there's no specific, you haven't had a specific information that you're going to stand as a witness in Rome or in somewhere else. Maybe some of you might have something specific that God has got. If you've got nothing specific, I want to tell you something. God has called you to be a witness in such a place as this for such a time. Hallelujah. You may not be the best at witnessing the fact that you belong to him is a witness. The fact that the church gathers on a Sunday is a witness that we are declaring the resurrection day of the Lord. You're saying Jesus Christ was died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and so we're worshipping him on the day that he rose again. Hallelujah. 
Okay. So I just want to just close. And any of you here, I, 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 I just want to make this appeal. If you don't know what Christ has done for you, God loves you so much that he did not want you to die in your sins and face judgment. So he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place, taking your sin and your punishment, facing the wrath of God and face the ultimate penalty of being cut off from God facing death. And he gave his righteousness as a free gift to everyone who believes so that you have passed from judgment to life. All those things that stood against you has been wiped clean. Today I want to challenge you, church. Let's live our lives with gratefulness. I always say Christianity in two sentences. It's grace received, gratitude lived out. So I'm going to invite Mike to come and to break bread. And let's receive this with gratitude. God bless you.